Hey there, it's Biana from Bold Culture. Just a friendly reminder, it's not only up to your employees of color to fix your diversity and inclusion problem. It's up to everyone. Need help? Visit us at boldculture.co. Welcome to Mixed Company, bringing the siloed and uncomfortable conversation we have with our friends to the forefront so everyone can participate in the conversation. We say all the things you never would in Mixed Company. Welcome to Mixed Company. Welcome to the 66th episode of Mixed Company Podcast, the Black History Month edition. Yeah. I feel like just saying Black History Month is all year and we're just going to continue it. It's 12 months of Black History. <laughs> black History Month is Black History Month for, for black people like all year round. But for the rest of the world yes. who does not necessarily subscribe daily to the culture, to the culture. This is the month to pay attention. Many things have happened this month. What an eventful month. It has been. Oh, my God. We have drama, suspense, yes. but drama winning. Hey, <laughs> like, you know, it's everyone's like, oh, it's the worst. Like, I've seen so many people tweet, oh, this is the worst Black History Month ever. And I'm like, I don't think it's the worst. Like, I think we've had much, much worse. What? This is probably the more polarized why is it the worst? I don't think it's the worst. I don't think it's the worst Black History Month for Mixed Company. We had a good one. Yeah, we had a great one. Maybe that's why I'm like, I don't know about y'all. This is also how I felt about 2016, where everybody's like, oh, it's the worst year ever. Actually, I had a fantastic 2016. (laughs) But for the rest of you... All right, guys. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome back. Um, We have a whole bunch of things going on this year or this month, this week, this day. Um, So we're probably going to try to push this episode out before the 28th um, because that's what our ancestors would have wanted. Yes. (laughs) Amen. Um, But we can start with um, everyone's favorite segment, Dope Shit or Ain't Shit, which, again, (laughs) a month like this gives you a plethora of things to discuss. We haven't recorded since the first week of February. My bad. So to be – no, it's fine. (laughs) So to now be able to, so just so you guys know, today's the 25th. So to now be at the 25th, we've, we've had 20 days of, of, of bliss and fuckery to choose from to yes. discuss. Yes, Praise a God. lot has happened. A lot has happened. Do tell. I don't even remember, like, because something happened, like, the first, first week. This is only the second month of 2019. Why do it I feel like halfway like through the year? Well, okay. <laughs> Things that have happened. Oscars wasn't so white. No, it was not. No, it was not. They learned their lesson. I don't know. I don't know. They learned a little no, bit of no, their lesson. I don't even know if it's about lesson learning, but I do think that creatively people of color in general have put out a lot more content in the last couple of years to the point where it's kind of like, we putting out so much shit, you can't not see it. It was different before when you were just not voting for it because you didn't want to watch it. <laughs> I think that's what... But you can't not see it now. But it ended on a yawn with with what? The Green Book winning. Oh, I didn't watch oh. that. I mean, I didn't watch that the Green Book. That is my dope book. shit. I'll, I'll, I'll I told everybody, I'm not going to say nothing about the Green Book until I see it because I, I, I love Mahershala Ali and everything that God has brought him to this earth to do. Um, but I recognize, <laughs> I do recognize... Um, that you know the story may not be true to form so i want to see it to see how bad how bad uh white saviorism was uh projected throughout the film so i'm gonna watch it um jesse you know jesse i know we said we weren't gonna go into detail and we won't because we still don't know what happened or whatever tbd but yeah jesse jesse smollett has um 
I don't know, got caught up in some things that have brought a lot of uh, our biggest insecurities as a people to um, the forefront of the media um, that has sparked woo chow conversation. Woo chile is yeah. more like it. It's not even a woo chow. It's a woo chile. It has sparked a lot of conversation from your uh, least favorite president all the way down to your favorite auntie. Everyone is discussing uh, it. I've, I've I don't know how that. to feel. I, I will say this. Uh, I'm not going to actually comment on, on what happened, um, but as the um, half Nigerian in the room, 3,500 sounds real low. Um, <laughs> and that's all I got to say. That's what I said. <laughs> Actually, I thought I about thought, that. That's all I got to say. I really there was, okay, about that. Okay, we can discuss it. <laughs> because I'm not even going to lie to y'all. And, like, I don't feel bad about thinking this because I think that this, it's important to critically think. We talk about that on the podcast all the time. You have to critically think yes. about your thinking. Okay. And the first thing that I thought when they were like, yeah, he was attacked in a subway was by MAGA supporters. And I was like, oh. And I was like, oh, man, that sucks. I was like, at a subway? They were, Why would they be at a subway in Chicago? And then they were like, well, they shouted racial epithets and, and then said, we know who you are. You're that empire N-word. And I was like, they watch Empire? <laughs> I, like, that was the part. I, I don't like, even watch Empire. I'm sorry to laugh. It's not funny. Because no. we, we don't know all the details We don't. Yet. But that detail stuck out to me because I was like, I... A lot of black people don't watch Empire. I don't. I just don't think that that's, that's the thing that you're watching true. on Fox at 9 p.m. when you support that man. Yeah. I mean, after especially when you're trying out, to make America great again, Empire is is not here to make America I great again. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to believe. Like I said, like we don't we, know all the details, but it hit a skirt when a like Niger- when two Nigerian dudes were on the news. And I was like, "What?" Yeah, <laughs> it just sounds like like just just what? being ra- being raised by um, a Nigerian who held me very accountable, and we can discuss how <laughs> other times. Like, I just feel like thirty five hundred is real low. Um, it is. We're, it is. We, we're we're a different kind of that's people. That's only like two months First of rent of all, for you're some an people. Actor. Like, Let's yeah. talk about. It's only two months of rent for some people. That's not enough. Yeah, like they would actually, like they would have demanded more if it was real. But whatever. Whatever. Well, other things happened as well. There have been a lot. R. Kelly's in jail. R. Kelly's. Come on. Like, wait, he's been arrested. That's usually what happens when you go to jail is you get arrested first. That's exactly what happened. But he He went to bookings. Yeah, he's in a cell. That's more than what happened the last time. Right. That is more than very because true. What had very happened true. last I take that time? Back. Very true. What had happened last time? Well, they did take him. They did indict him before. It well, just took him, him eight years. Oh, I don't think so. But it I took it him like eight years was to it? get to the trial. Ugh, disgusting. So there's that. So listen. <laughs> That's a win. I've taken it as We've a win. been working with the ad, the Advertising Club of New York to mm-hmm. put together this amazing homage that we've paid to uh, black advertisers, the great legends of black advertising uh, in the Icons, Rockstars, and Innovators um, campaign. That's been great. Great. Yeah. Ad Week has been showing us love. Derek Walker, Uncle Dirk. <laughs> Uncle Dirk's been showing us love on uh, the social medias. Um I just, it's been a good month, yeah, guys. It was a good it's month. highs and lows. It highs balanced, and, it's it balanced out. out. It balanced out. Yes. It balanced it out. That's yep. life. It is. It That's was like it was like black life. 
I'm yeah. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be on the positive side on this one. I agree. All right. Well, that's it for dope shit, ain't shit. Amen. Um. Right. So just so you guys know, um, Black History Month, as you know, is more than just discussing slavery. Um, and I cannot say that um, I cannot say that more. And I feel like it's very important uh, anytime we do have a conversation about Black History Month that we let it be known that there is history within history, that there is history within our families. There's history within our careers. There's history within uh, how our constitution and our country was formed. Um, and for the sake of this podcast and the integrity that we want to make sure that we bring to the content that we share with you, we also wanted to talk about the history, if you will, of diversity and inclusion in advertising. Um, largely because I don't think that people understand, like, this shit didn't just start last month. It didn't start last year. It didn't start 10 years ago. Uh, there has been an ongoing conversation uh, about um a lack of diversity or specifically a lack of uh, women and for the sake of Black History Month, a lack of black faces, real black faces, not the kind that get painted on at college frat parties. Or on Prada. Or on Prada. Um, but there, there, there has been a lack of black faces in the creative rooms and around the boardroom tables within this industry um, forever. Um, and I think when we go to these panels and we speak on these podcasts and when we listen to or we read rather people's op-eds about this topic, everyone makes it seem like it's this, this thing that we can't figure out because it's so new and it's not. So we'll break it down for you. Um, you guys can use this as your, um, I don't know, your study guide, if you will. What the hell did we used to use back in college? Cliff notes. Cliff your notes. cliff notes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Your spark notes, whatever it is, just so you, you know, when you are ready to take our conversation and use it to your advantage to have a more thoughtful um, and uh, honest conversation with other people about the um, the need for diversity in workspaces, this will be a great one-on-one for you. Um, so we've done a research. I want to give a quick shout-out to... Um, this book that a few of us have been reading recently called Madison Avenue and the Color Line um, by Jason Chambers. Uh, we've also done uh, some research, obviously, on the internets and the interwebs, but also through working with uh, the Advertising Club of New York um, and listening to the, to the stories that the icons and rock stars and innovators have shared with us. It's added a lot of context to what we know to be true Excuse me, I burped, guys. I'm drinking <laughs> seltzer. Like, but it's added a lot of context to what um, to what we know to be true, which I think is going to help us, help equip us with a better understanding of how to make change. Um, so Do let's kick it off. All right. Oh, what was you going to say? I was about to say I learned a lot, like during the research on this. I'm yeah. like, do they even teach this? In they school? don't. They don't like, teach it anywhere. Yeah. In fact, there's not a whole bunch of books like this. I think. Very I think, true. Remember when we started? When we were getting ready for our first episode? Um, shout out to the miseducation of uh, diversity. 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 Um, we were trying to put together, and I remember Simeon, you had suggested we put together a timeline. Yeah. Yeah. But I it mean, was really hard to hard. like find information. Very true. Because, again, we just – that's how everything gets forgotten. We just forget that black people are trying to make shit happen, and we can't. So let's just talk about the good things, and let's make a movie – a show called Mad Men. But, like, 
there's an entire that life. part yeah huh that part yeah like there's an entire existence or lack of existence and a fight for uh, or a fight fight and resistance of um keeping us out of this business since before the 40s but the research that we've done and from what we've read within the book and we've read online like the 1940s was when people are like nah fuck that shit like you ha- we are out here and we are being misrepresented and we are talented and we should be at the table so let's begin. So the first thing I found, so I know, Karina, you wanted to start in the 60s, but I wanted to take it back because sometimes I think that when we associate history with um, civil rights, people automatically think, oh, Dr. Martin Luther King, blah, blah, blah. And like, that's great, but that's not where it started. I mean, because that's that's the, the bare basics of what people are taught in school. Exactly. You know, like the happy things. I, I always say that America as a country is one big branding campaign of here are us white people um, and these are all the nice things that we've done. Right. So you should believe that we are a nice, we're, we're nice people. Okay, everybody, so, we can start in the 40s. So yeah, <laughs> I, mean, like, I, mean, I, th- I think it's important. Okay, so the first thing that I want to bring up, even though there are several things that happened before that, mm-hmm. was the National Negro Congress. And I think this is something that came up in our research when we first started the podcast. So, the National Negro Conference was like an interracial group of organizers, um, which intended to be like the umbrella organization for existing groups fighting to improve the position of black people in the United States. So what had happened, oh, excuse me, what had happened was the National Negro Congress ended up having um, a division called their cultural division. And the whole point of the cultural division was to uh, advocate for better representation of African Americans in the media that that we were seeing or that they were seeing. We were seeing. These are our people that we were seeing. So many of you are familiar with Aunt Jemima and her pancakes and her syrup. Uh, many of you were raised by Uncle Ben and his rice. Um, I don't think any of us, I don't know who was around, but like, what was it called? Um, cream of wheat. Oh yeah. Cream of wheat. I was thinking about, what was it called? Tar baby, the soap. Yeah. Tar baby. Tar baby. soap. okay. So all of these images, in fact, if y'all know anybody that works at Prada, please send this to them because apparently they were not clear Prada Burberry as well as, um, Gucci. So, those images uh, of these um, black servants, if you will, um, were the only images that we were seeing of black people in the media. Sound familiar? Yes, it does. Um, however, I'm speaking about the 1940s. So back in the 40s, they're like, nah, son, like we do other things. We are professionals. We um our doctors, we, you know, some of us are a little bit more educated. You know, some of us have left the South and we're now in the North creating communities. And we need to see more of this because as we know, promoting images of black servitude in the media leads to people that are not necessarily black to believe that somehow that is the only use for black people. And the National Negro Congress was like, nah, son, we good. Um, So what ended up happening is that in the late 40s, the group became the first civil rights organization to draw attention to the racial hiring practices of the advertising industry. Their theory essentially was if we'd hire, if you hire more black folk Mm -hmm. to work in the agency, 
then maybe you'll figure out a way to use black folk in your creative so that they looked a lot more like the people on the street. The irony to this, and then I'll stop here and y'all can jump in. The Mm -hmm. irony to this is that, and this is all coming from Jason Chambers' books. Um, He he mentions how there will be a, a scene or a photograph or an illustration rather of a New York city street. Mm-hmm. Um, black people didn't just come to New York city. Just so y'all know black folk been here. Um, and you would not see any person of color, but specifically you would see no black people. And like, these are like pictures of like Harlem. <laughs> yeah. They have pictures of Harlem with no black people in the imagery. And it's like, you know, that's not real. You know, that's not the world. I think they call it, um, it was like a bringing black people into affluence. Like they tried to essentially state that anything that was nice or sexy or um, something that you, you would want to attain wouldn't have black people. And if black people were there, they were servants. Um, and, and obviously, as we know, like that was poor representation. And they, we also know that black people were not and do not buy things or patron patron anything that we don't necessarily see aligning with our culture. Right. I mean, and, and one of the words, the terms that they use was the snob appeal, the snob appeal, um, where basically like, that's what, what they used to describe it. I mean, I think you need some water friend. Well, (laughs) water can't, quench rage like these like these these kind of things get me really frustrated because um when when you hear that it's been going back as far as the 1940s um and you hear the snob appeal and you know and i and i think about things that i've heard throughout my career about black people um and when i hear the snob appeal the first thing that came to mind was a recruit at one of the agencies when i sent her up to city college and we, we went right. back to speak to, when I went back to speak to her and asked her what she thought, she said, I didn't feel like they were refined enough. And yep. so, you know, these, these terms, I think it's really important for us to understand that, you know, racism, um, it, we're not in this post-racial society, the way we talk about it or the way that it's executed has evolved throughout the years. Just like, you know, we're about to get into, you know, these initiatives has evolved throughout the years. Right. Very true. I agree. So then, so, so, okay. So we have the Negro, the national Negro Congress. Um, also please do not go around calling black people Negroes. That is a very early 1900s way of referring to, we have also also (laughs) evolved with how we, uh, like to be addressed and, and, and Negro just, it just, it just triggers like bells of like spirituals and like a time that we don't want to, go back to negroes and coloreds yeah let's uh let's let's strike those from your lexicon yeah Yeah. wow (laughs) um it's important to say anyway anyway so that was it for the cultural division they were like listen we need to get more black folks into this business um and y'all need to be held accountable Mm -hmm. um there was also another figure uh during the late 1940s um his name is milton biao I'm really hoping that's how you, you say. You just have your nickname for him, Milton B. Milton B. <laughs> um, who also who also was an agency owner, and I think the uh, the ironic 
story of Milton is that he does not come from the, the snobbish pedigree that most advertisers came from and quite frankly today in 2019 still come from. Um, he wasn't college educated. Uh, he did not have any family members in the business. He literally just decided, eh, I think I want to think I want to do this thing called advertising and created his own business. And for that, you know, I'm here for all of it. I'm here for you to go be great and live your dreams. Um, however, coming with that perspective, what was um, admirable about Milton B is that he said, rather than worrying about how you look and uh, what school you went to, and essentially all of the things that we are constantly telling people to ignore when hiring talent. Um, he said he was going to judge people off of their skill and their talent. What a crazy idea. This man was a pure radical. So with that, he ended up um, hi hiring larger, yes. and not a lot, because it wasn't a lot of us working in the, the industry at the time. He, pro he hired larger amounts of people of color, specifically black people, to work at his agency uh, because he recognized talent over race. Um, one, one of the things that he's quoted saying in Jason's book is that, you know, it's just better business. It's better. He's like essentially adding black people to the pool means that I have more talented people to pick from than the smaller pool that I had before. This man was a so whole radical. A man mm -hmm. before his time, yeah. I guess. He was, he was, Way before like, his he time. Was, I mean, <laughs> everyone was like, skirt, like, every, And everyone was still like, skirt, skirt, skirt. I mean, it was, right. it's, it's, it's revolutionary, but it's but also... But is it? But is I it? I mean, for, for, for then, then? For it's then. It's too much like right to do. I mean, for <laughs> then in, 19, for, in the 1940s, so yes. So soon after, let's say, yes. the end of slavery. So yes. at this point, slavery has been abolished yeah. for 50, 60 years. Yeah. And yet, slavery to that point in time is like the civil rights movement to us right now. Yes. If you want to put that yeah. into context. But but also like that quote is literally what people are staying yeah. now, which is like diversity is good for business. And it's like <laughs> Yeah, girl. Milton B was was on this shit before you, dog. Like you're not new. Like you're not saying anything that's so so um so innovative or, or so, you know, thought provoking like it's not new like and and what f pisses me off is like you don't do the work right like you you speak yeah. about these things well that's what he talked about hey and that's where we get to my last piece about milton so milton was like look y'all on some bullshit <laughs> i'm out here winning with all these accounts i got all of these people out here in these streets working for me we win in business, we lose in business, but we win in more business, and we are just out here functioning. And y'all don't seem to understand why, and I keep telling y'all why. Milton, RIP, that's where we are in our careers today, just trying to figure out why people don't understand. So Milton was like, cool, this is what I'm about to do. I'm about to go kick it with the homies at the NAACP, who are also um, working in tandem with the National Negro Congress, uh, their cultural division, and we're about to do some research because he was like, listen, send me every resume of a qualified person that you have and I will interview them. Um, so what he did is, uh, like I said, got together with NAACP, was like, let's do a little bit of a, a survey, surveyed um, the industry yep. and came to find that there were, I think it's 25, 21, 21. Yes. 
Yes, 21, sorry, of the 20,000 people, <laughs> of the 20,000 human beings, grown-ass adult working folks in the industry, in the entire, was it, I think it was just New York, right? Or was it? Yeah, just New York. I apologize the New York, for laughing. It's just terrible. No, it's just, it's real. In the New York City advertising industry, mm-hmm. only 21 worked in the actual industry. And of that 21, I think it came out that like 15 of them, 13 of them? Well, 11 were messengers, clerks, and receptionists. Right. And janitors. They didn't work on the, they didn't work on the, on the creative. The remaining number of blacks, just watch your, watch your language, <laughs> doing anything connected, connected to advertising in New York City was 15. I mean, can we talk about that too? Because. That's not 21. 15 plus 11? Yeah, that's, yeah. that math is, is off. It does say that in here, <laughs> but I was like, that doesn't, I'm not good at math and that doesn't sound It's right. off. I mean, so it should be maybe, 10. but he said his analysis was admittedly incomplete. So what's that? What is that? Eleven plus? That's twenty six. Listen, so, y'all, it was less than thirty people. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there were less than thirty people who actually worked in the business, and of that, only a handful actually touched any creative work. Uh, right. What is that? Like two percent? I'm not about to do the math. But <laughs> that's yeah, like less that's than twenty thousand to twenty thousand to twenty people. Like, mm-hmm, let's just be wrong. And, and so I think it, I think it's. It, it's important as we're going down this timeline that we keep drawing the correlations between then and now. Exactly. Because when I think we're still at 3%. Where, 3% of the existing industry is is black. It, it looks, when you look at the the um, the data from um, the Department of Labor, it, it comes off as 5%, but oh. nobody really knows where that 5% comes from. And how it's broken down, okay. because then it it, it it ties back to what we're looking at right here is who are you talking about? Because if you're just counting the people who are working at the agency, are you counting the person who's working in the mailroom? Are you counting the IT person? Right. Are you counting the receptionist? Which is what happens a lot of the times when people are talking about the diversity and inclusion numbers. They are talking about the people who in are the not building, in the building, but they're building. not talking about the people at the right. table. And we did touch about that in our first episode. I mean, we talked yeah. about it a little bit, but I kind of want to bring it back just to gonna say that again. Say it again. Yeah. It needs to be said wanna, again. Yeah. Um, and, and the other important thing to be said about those people is a lot of people take those jobs as a stepping stone trying to get closer to the business Very true. and they rarely ever do. Very true. Let's go. Also, this sounds like drunken history. What you're doing oh right now? Oh my gosh! That's how, history. History. <laughs> that's how I tell history. That's how I tell history. Quick, real, real. Oh my gosh! Okay. New episode idea. Real quick pause. I have my favorite. Well, he's not my favorite favorite, but my most influential, I will say, history teacher was a football coach that really didn't know how to do regular delivery like a teacher. So this is like. I learned about Helen of Troy because this man would walk. He's like, all right. So listen, what happened was, <laughs> and like that is, I did so well in that class. I ended up getting into the honors class because I retained how he told history. And this is why I'm telling it to you all this that's way. That's all you, Hey, that's all you need. I just want everyone, <laughs> I want everyone to retain it. I want everyone to retain it. So basically, so right. Melton came out and he was like, look, y'all don't have, we don't have enough black folk. Y'all playing too much. And it's really just that easy. Literally the man says, like, we really just need to go get out there and just hire the people. Like, hire the people that have the talent. So Melon was like, you know what? This is some bullshit. Let's take this to the four A's. Y'all remember the four A's? Four A's has been around for 
forever, y'all. It is. It is like a, over a hundred years. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. A very, very well established. Y'all know things. Y'all know things. Well, he took it to the four A's, and the four A's was like, um, what's his, what's the what's the president's name? President? Is it? It doesn't matter. President of the four A's was basically like, listen, I don't really believe you. What do you mean? There's only like. And black people in advertising. <laughs> There's no way. I'm certain that I saw two pass me in the elevator today. <laughs> so they went ahead and did their own little uh, survey. Cause and and what I'm taking, it doesn't say it in the book, but from what I've read, it sounded like they wanted to to try to discredit it. And what they came back and they found was that they were able to find 36 people that worked in the industry of the 20,000. Oh, so that, I guess that's where that 15 came from. Then. Maybe. Okay. But here's the thing. Milton was like, nah, B, <laughs> you still talk about the male folk and the janitors and the people that don't work on the work. work. So in the end, they were able to just align that, oh, I guess we don't have a whole bunch of people here, huh? Mm. So that's what had happened. I think the conclusion to that was that the forays at the time and it's like it's not no shade to anybody but the four a's at the time did begin to make excuses now we're having a lot now we're starting the conversations about oh well you know african americans or negroes at the time negroes are not skilled enough or they're not good enough or they don't know the things or you know they don't come from advertising backgrounds as if we're doing some sort of fucking surgery like advertising is and has never been hard it's like it's just not hard like, yeah. what we're doing is creative. Everybody has imagination from the time they are a child. We are all equipped with imagination. Therefore, we are all qualified to work in some facet within this industry. I think that's a continued narrative up until now. So yeah. we're going to put a pin in that. You can put a pin in that. What are you going to say, sir? No, I, I was, uh, to, to Kai's point. This I, is just I, the 40s, by the way. We, I mean, we yeah, didn't get we, to the 60s. We, we haven't gotten anywhere yet, but I was just going to throw shade. I, I don't think everybody's that creative. <laughs> well, I think everybody I think, has I think, an imagination. I think, okay. I think, but I don't think everybody has taste. So I'm not speaking about creative, creativity no, no. only. I'm just in being the, shady. Yeah, you're being a fucking creative. <laughs> you're being a fucking copywriter. Everybody's not. No, everyone. Everybody's got it. As a producer, I have to be creative in how I approach solutions yes. for problems true. you see what Very i'm true. saying as uh an account person you have to uh, you have to be creative with how you establish and build and grow relationships yes. so my point is these are not tasks that the tasks that we're doing are not things that we can't lean on our general day-to-day -day experiences to help feed into how we do our job but somehow since the beginning of the dawn of time Folk be out here really trying to make it seem like there's a thing that you just didn't learn. Yeah. I, I think that the, one of the key things to advertising is that the skills are honed. Like, mm -hmm. these are honed yeah. skills. So if you have – and, and right. to Milton B's point, what he did was go and find people who have raw skills yep. and basically say, you know what? I, I, know, I, how to, I know how to use you yep. and put you to work. Because that was also yes. his experience in the business as yeah. well. So that happened in the 40s, y'all. So all of the all of these surveys that people are putting out. In fact, wait, who put out the survey last week? Was that the 4As? Oh, somebody put out a survey. I'd be, I'd be minding my business. Oh, <laughs> no, there was a survey. There was a survey that came out last week. I will find it, and I will interrupt one of you when I find it. But there was a survey that came out last week that just reaffirmed all the things that we're talking about. So all these surveys that we're all doing, y'all, they've been done. 
none of and, this is new. And and to and to your point, Kai, the amount of money that is spent on surveys could hire so many people. Okay. But she would rather I don't know why I'm we so just, angry today. I just came from therapy. This makes no sense. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. Sorry, Brian. Um, we didn't um, mean to trigger. All, all all the money that you're spending on surveys could actually be spent on getting people through the door. Right. And it's not. Right. That part. That anyway, part. so I say all of this to say, y'all, this has been the same narrative since at least, that the same narrative documented since the 1940s. Yeah. Um, I think the next uh, the next era of uh, push or of a push for diversity started to happen about uh, five, 10, 15 years later in the early and late 60s. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so in between that, we could just say, like, in the 1950s, two black dudes um, broke through the color barrier, if you will. So in 1952, Clarence Holt um, yes. started working at Batten, Barton, Durstein, and Osborne as an ethnic marketing specialist because the only thing that we're good at is being black you know and they wanted our money so if <laughs> if if you go onto our website right now and go into the black history exhibit that we have with the ad club um there is a video on there about marketing to the negro and you should watch it after you finish listening to this because <laughs> then the ethnic marketing specialist will definitely make sense and then in 1955 young and rubicam hired um the Roy Eaton, who was a musician, yes. as a copywriter and jingle composer, and for the record, Roy is still in these yes, streets. Yes, Roy is. is still out in these streets. <laughs> YNR honored him. What was it, two years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah for Black Roy History Month. Had a baby, like oh, what? No, no, years, let's not. Like let's ago. not do this. Hey, I can't. Hey, still kicking. He's out here. He's in these streets. <laughs> but you know, those the- are the streets I want him to be. <laughs> yes. Roy is out Roy had a whole baby a couple of years ago. <laughs> so the 1950s talk about this, like, the cultural influence of advertising with agency like leadership making a difference. I think in the 1960s, now that we're gaining more attention, it's more of the government influence to make these policies happen. So it's the civil rights movement now. I mean, and also, a lot of shit is going down. But, but also to the point of the government, why the government was paying attention, be very clear that um, black people were burning shit down. No, yes, I was about exactly. to say, it wasn't. It wasn't just because they decided yes. one day. Oh, you know, you know who we haven't been paying attention to? Black, black people. Folk. No, they were like, oh shit, what are we gonna do to get these black people to stop, stop burning right? shit down? I, I mean, because you know, to the point, thing. like a lot of the early civil rights movements, especially, and you know, this is why the, why people love Martin Luther King is because. He he preached nonviolence, Very true. and so you know a lot of the earlier things unlike were brother Malcolm, unlike like, brother Malcolm, yes, hey, uh, by and the Black Panthers. Yeah. Um, you know. So a lot of those early movements were very docile. There right. were there yes. were people asking for things. You know, it was the sit-in, and so you know, right before you know the government started paying attention, what what happened was <laughs> black people were like, "Nah, fuck this shit." Very similar we to today. Yeah, very similar to a Ferguson. Yeah, where people very start paying true. attention, yeah. and so this is why people say for for white people are like, oh my god, can't you find something nicer? A nicer way to do it? No, rioting has so always been the voice of the unheard, and it's always been effective on getting people to pay attention to the issue at hand. And it also has always been the last resort. resort. Yes, it is yeah. never the first thing that that people anywhere think about doing 
I mean, unless you're in a frat and you just won whatever football or wow. your team lost. right? Whatever, that's different. But wow. then, then we know it's not it's not a riot. But for 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 black people in this country, actually, for black people in this world, for people of color in this world, for oppressed people in this world, rioting has always been the cause of not being heard. When you think about children, when when you don't give them something that they ask for or something they need, they will throw a tantrum. To get your attention. And it is not to equate it with being a child, but definitely to equate it with understanding, like, you're not going to pretend that we're not here for too long. And we're talking about the 1960s um, where, you know, Vietnam War is going on. Uh, there is an over there over policing is a thing. Um, pretty much everything that's happened in the last ten years here in the United States was happening in the late in the early late fifties, early sixties, and black folks got upset. So you know the government and some marketers were like, well, wait a minute. It- but Maybe gotta, we can throw him a bone. But you got to think about the role of television at this point. Right. So, it's the representation. And, and, and how news is covered. And, you know, in the 1950s, I mean, you have, like, Cronkite, and you talking on the news and talking about this right. and whatever. And then you can control, like, the TV shows and the things that you – images you put out there. But in the 1960s, you are literally seeing black people being killed. Right. You're watching the riots happening. And that was a specific, that was a very specific, um, or, or purposeful act taken on by the media, recognizing that all this shit is happening in the South Mm -hmm. and no one is paying attention to it. It's because nobody's seeing it. It wasn't until Selma, I guess we can say it wasn't until Selma that, that white people, if you will, uh, finally understood oh that's what they're doing to all the black folks down that's why they're angry yes because a dog <laughs> just attacked me yes because this there's a fire hose in my face yes there's a policeman beating me with 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 their batons and it wasn't until people saw that that they uh took action so with that came the change in media yeah in the 60s and many things happened well, then you have the EEOC hearings to address these changes yes. and the, the mention of affirmative action. And it's really interesting because Sim and I were just talking this before you came in the room, Kai, about racism being a top of mind for people that it affects. So yes. racism, only It's only yeah. top of mind for people that it so affects. So, like, it, thought, it brought me back to, like, the whole Gucci thing and how they let out a statement now about what they're going to do and how they're going to influence DNI in all their different locations every around time the world. Somebody, every time I read that or hear that part, I roll my eyes. Anytime any of these organizations that royally fuck up in this way talk about diversity and inclusion, I have a visceral like reaction. As to you that. should. You should, but it's just not top of mind until it's top of mind. I just don't understand. That, that, <laughs> no, no, no. But that's no, what it no, is. No, fuck no, fuck. No, bro. Yeah. No. Why? No. You knew that shit was wrong when you fucking put that shit in. Like, no, somebody told you don't do this. And somebody was like, nah, B is cool. We you know we post racial. And they're like, eh? <laughs> I don't think so. And they're like, no, we got it. And then they put that shit out. And they're like, oh, I didn't know people weren't going to like it. Bitch, you knew people weren't going <laughs> to like that shit. Also, I to, still think, go ahead, go ahead. I, they just piss me off. I think what pisses me off is that. That fucking turtleneck. I know. Yeah, Quench of too, rage. The fucking too. turtleneck. And it was, was ugly. Like, and it was ugly. It was, but, it was bad. 
it's it's the fact that there are so many people behind the scenes who are making well over six figures who who speak to their intelligence in their interviews and this is a type of shit that still slips through. So you know, but that's why I'm saying that yeah. it's not top of mind until it's top of mind. Until they have right. Until, until they're held accountable. Until yeah. they're until, until it's a problem, problem. and you can see it until here you get canceled in the 1960s. <laughs> like uh, like things weren't happening until shit burns down. Right. Then you have the hearings going on, and they weren't large hearings, but there were hearings because a lot of people, and I think this goes back to many things that we've said on this podcast before. People don't recognize that, like. New York City has called the Madison Avenue to the to the table many of times with some legal action. It wasn't just 2008. It wasn't just re- recently. It was literally in the 1960s with the, who was it the the NAACP as well as the New York City Commission on Human Rights. Yeah, were like, nah, bro, like you guys are have faulty practices. And I think it's interesting that after the EEOC hearings, then they send the, uh, what, New York NHCR, what does that stand for? But them, they stepped into, Commission of Human there Rights. we go. <laughs> they stepped in after the hearings were done and said, no, you need to put some action. You need to make something happen. It's the irony is it's literally the same thing they did in the 2000s. It's like, <laughs> it was, this is what happens. Like everybody says, you are, destined to repeat history if you don't learn from it and so in the 60s uh what we know is that the um uh the national negro congress at the time um the cultural division basically were like they were like we did all this research and we know all these things and you guys still haven't done anything with it i'm telling because (laughs) that's what they did that's literally that's what they did they said i'm telling they said i'm telling and they said the 4a is not doing enough they said milton done closed down his agency so he can't do nothing they said core ain't really you know they really not getting to the people they need to get to we taking this to the new york city commission on human rights because they had what receipts and in order for us to ever be heard what do we always need to have receipts Receipts. shout out to google docs for leaving us with timestamps. so they sent it to the commission on human rights and we're able to prove that hey people are being discriminated against in this business and the human rights commission was like cool we got you in order for y'all to be able to continue doing business you need to have actionable steps to show growth and success and obviously as we know what happens for the time period that that was required that's what the industry gave them. Sure, we'll create programs for you. Yeah, we'll 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 do the things so you don't bother us anymore. And that's where we ended up coming out with the uh, rotational programs, right? Well, so after the hearings, then we decided. Okay, the agency decided. Okay, we got to make get these receipts going, whatever. And the, yes, that's when you start having the programs. Then you have the basic ad course, which I thought was interesting. So the four A's, and I'm speeding through this a little bit, but the four A's and Bill Sharp and a friend. What's his name? A friend is cool. He's a white man. (laughs) So (laughs) I I assume that's what you meant. They (laughs) created (laughs) the basic ad course. And what's the interesting part about the basic ad course, it's that it's a response from affirmative action. So affirmative action, the EOC hearings came through, and they started hiring just black people from anywhere. But then the narrative came up of black people, these people that you've hired are not qualified 
for these positions. You know, can, how can, are we going to send can, them can into surgery? Go can ahead. I, can I read a quote? So Edwin Stern, who is a piece of shit, um, <laughs> and a owner of an agency staffing firm said, and I quote, I have yet to meet a competent copywriter or account executive who is a Negro. There mm. just aren't any. I don't feel there would be any need, any discrimination on the executive or creative ends. It's just complete lack of, of available talent. Mm. You were trash. He Edward probably Stern. dead too. He's probably. But well, if you aren't, you're, you're still trash. trash. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know why he said that? A competent copywriter? Because he's actually never. See, they didn't have emails back then, but your mama was still writing notes to like your teachers when they were fucking with you. And that's because he never actually had to like sit through a, a like a black mother's read. True. A black <laughs> mother's true. shade. Like when I talk about it's this creativity, creative. like, <laughs> like <laughs> there's a certain nuance to this that you're just like, mm, you're only saying that because you never actually had to live in the house. Yeah. Like, my, my mother used to call me a blooming idiot. A mm, blooming idiot. A blooming so you idiot. are forever blooming. You are. Yeah. You are ever. <laughs> you are ever growing into yes. your idiocy. Yeah. Oh, see, it, it, it was. It was. Oh, I my. mean, to this day, I'm like, oh, that's that's really. Witty. That's so good. <laughs> You're a blooming idiot. Wow. You, you haven't even reached your... Your, your full potential yeah. being dumped. <laughs> God bless black mothers, man. I you tell you. You also got to think about the educational element right. and the opportunity that black people have at this point in the 1960s. Yep. And they're not have we're not having the same opportunities as white counterparts coming from Ivy League universities or whatever. And to say that, yes, we may have the creativity, but the the paper receipt is not there. Well, to be, I mean, to that po- to that point, I think when you when you talk about competent, you can't talk, you can't say that and not talk about the Howards and the Spellman right, right. and the the Morehouses, these these black, which these, is why we had the black institutions right. because we were being we were alienated. Yeah from white institutions and and when you look at it's the, why they, it's yeah. it's it's why the um uh fraternities the black fraternities right. and sororities, sororities were created mm-hmm. like we know I that we that we know that the <laughs> that um uh alpha fraternity oh, let me alpha not go there. Alpha. Al- alpha phi alpha <laughs> cornell university was founded at cornell university because black men were being ostracized and and um were being ostracized from the academic fraternities on campus and so in an effort to uh manage and and flourish they had to create their own institutions and that carried us through the 1960s 70s i mean i'm a product of an hbcu myself where you like we have like and i know this is jumping ahead but we have black twitter Mm -hmm. because we were not allowed to have a say and and speak in forums um, for for mainstream culture, even though the culture would take from our culture, we were never allowed to speak freely about how things were made, why they were made, why they succeeded, and why they should fail until we were given platform through social media, at which that point, it's like, bruh, we out here. I'm going to say what I want to say, and I think it's the it's the same thing. So people like that man, whatever his name was again. Edward Stern. Him. Him dare so. People <laughs> like him literally have forced us to flourish in our own environments 
and also be able to work and live uh, comfortably in the in a white world. Yeah, and, so, and, and to that point too, I think you know we're in Black History Month, and I think one of the things that I always think about during Black History Month is it's a celebration of despite of. Yes, like we are great despite Edward Stearns. We are great despite all of the the agencies that didn't. Um, want to hire us and part of the reason why we did the the Black History Month exhibit this this year is to talk about all the black people in advertising who were great despite all this shit that was happening that we're going or through all right the shit now. they yeah. said because yeah. we'd still be great without it like whether we got the props or not we're still going to be great but this is like the conversation as we as we move through the 60s and the 70s is about validation. And even in the six, the late 60s and moving into the black power movement, there became a point where we were like, we don't need your validation. We can do this ourselves. And that is where we start to see the formation of black advertising agencies. Because, Amen. you know, one thing, if you've ever read Valerie Graves' books, uh, book, um, Pressure Makes Diamonds, she said the difference between a white creative director and hers that a white creative director could never out black her. Hey, and I think that that's such a powerful. <laughs> if you know, <laughs> if you know, Auntie Valerie, listen. If you know Auntie Valerie, you can like hear her say it. But like, I think it's it's so important to recognize that like it's not even just about despite. We actually like black people around the globe. The globe have done things despite um, being undermined. Yes. But what we're so good at is just being great and and honoring our own greatness. And I think that, like, now we're at the 60s and now we have Amen. these agencies. Yes. yes. So these initiatives were born. So you have the basic ad course with 4As and Bill Sharp. And basically it was a course to help black people be prepared for the industry. And it was successful. Um this um, Jason Chambers book did note that there was a barrier an, of I don't, I don't know how to word this, but when like participants went out to like to do their interviews and things like that, it was there was a hard time of getting it recognized to the to the level that it was you were getting. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Because like the only way I can do this is like through, I came from an interact program. Mm -hmm. And when I read this, I was like, this sounds just Say it again. like, Say it again. Oh, the interact program. No, no. Say what you said again. Oh, I don't even like repeat, <laughs> but listening about the basic ad course. So one of the, the barriers is that when you go to your interviews and you have to show people, like I was part of this ad course and you know, showing it, if it was recognized. reputable. It wasn't recognized. It wasn't Thank recognized. you. It wasn't recognized. And I'm come from, Coming from an interact program, that's what got me my start in advertising. I remember mm -hmm. like that feeling because mm -hmm. yes, it was great, and yes, it was you get to go to different agencies, and this sounds wonderful, but it wasn't recognizable as advertising experience all the time. Right. So I, I think right because and 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 um, shout out to Adweek because mm -hmm. I just did their podcast. Yeah, that's probably an ad. Yes. Uh, and speaking with Bennett, um, Bennett Bennett. Um, that was one of the things he talked about. I was just about to say it. He was yeah. literally <laughs> discussing like the the experience of being the diversity hire and like you know you're coming to work 
as an employee. Like, you know you are here to do a job, but you're constantly fighting and battling against the idea that, like, you're not necessarily working. He talked about not working. He's a copywriter, but he didn't have an art director partner. Um, yep. Not reporting directly into a creative director. So there's that barrier as well. So people aren't looking at you as part of the team, but you know you're a part of the team. So you actually have to figure out how to insert yourself in there. And, like, it's a great opportunity. Let's not let's not say it's not. But one of the things they talked about in the in, in Jason Chambers' books is, like, there were many programs that ended up failing right. because of that, those specific instances or those specific I mean, you, situations. You can't get away that these programs are birthed from government action, affirmative action. Like you can't, that's where they come from. Right. However, it's about equity. And they're not structured in an equitable fashion, yes. right. which for me is like when you, it, you get more clout being an intern or you get more respect being an intern than you do from coming in as a diversity yes. Or they hire. think that you're an intern. They, or they really think not. you're an intern. Yeah. And so, then there's that. Yep. So I, I, and I think a more explicit way to draw a parallel between that and right now is to, and, and I think Bennett is a great example because I know Bennett. So when you talk about it not being, we rep- all know Bennett. I know. Yeah, everybody, everybody like, know Bennett. <laughs> when you talk about it being not recognized or not reputable, I think a great way to to draw the parallel is it's like my going to Miami Ad School, a creative circus, mm-hmm. um, yeah. or going to a city college, and that has been the problem for or the issue that people from and I went to city college, so I'm speaking from experience of people going, well, where did you go to school? Yeah. And because City College isn't recognized as one of the top ad schools that that brings out, like, top talent because nobody wants to hire them, it's not reputable. But if you go to a Miami ad school or if you go to an SVA, these places where, you know, these are pools of of talent where recruiters consistently go to pull people, that's that's more reputable. And so it kind of draws – it's back to the snob effect of mm-hmm. this isn't something that we recognize so you can't be good yeah and, yeah and all these initiatives are to grow the pool so it's like but, but, the uh, and then, <laughs> but what we get back to which is where the cycle starts over again yes yeah like people like i one of the things i mentioned on the on adweek's podcast is um and uh this idea that it's like the diversity recital <laughs> Like, we go through, you do the whole theater of it all, and it's like, oh, we have this um, pipeline program, and we're going to train you, and we're going to give you some skills and some, you know, pretend experience, because you can't have the real experience. You have, like, the pretend experience, and then, you know, one or two of you will get hired, and then we can show people that we solve diversity, not recognizing that it doesn't end once you get hired. There's an entire career that needs to be managed right once you do get hired right um and and people were finding that they still weren't getting jobs they still weren't being respected and so people left the industry or they created their own they, or, or a few Listen, created a high note <laughs> a few Despite. created their own but many left the industry uh, right sheldon when we do and i did the interview with sheldon levy um for uh for icons, rockstars, innovators, one of the things he mentioned was that he was the only, he was in the first MAPE class. Mm-hmm. Forty years ago. 
He was. It's over forty years ago now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like forty-one. Forty-ish. He was in the first MAPE class, but of his entire cohort, he was the only one to go into the business. Everyone else became a doctor or a lawyer or something. And 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 I and I can I can kind of relate to that too. So like coming from CUNY, out of all the kids that I graduated with, probably like three got into advertising, but they all wanted to be in advertising. Right. And I think that part's important. So then we get to the, so we get to this place in like the '60s and the '70s, and uh, agencies are being created, like the Burrells, Uniworlds, Carol Williams, etc. Um, and they are focusing largely on what they are, what they can never be outdone on, being black. And at the same time, there are also um, these uh, programs are also being created, like the Mapes of the world, etc. Um, and people forget that black people were being ignored. Um, then the 80s, everybody got a little bit of ri- little bit rich, got a lot bit high. Um, so there was that. Uh, urban music became mainstream culture. And then the 90s happened. <laughs> you you want to go straight to the... Two- <laughs> I mean, well, what... Well, okay, we can delve into... I, we can delve into go that. Ahead. No, go ahead. Go no, ahead. I, mean, I, think, I think people forgot. Yeah. Like, I think, like, yeah, people started real. getting jobs and, you people know. People got comfortable. More, people are comfortable. And, you know, if you can't get into Young and Rubicam, you can surely go to Uniworld type deal. And I think people were comfortable with that for a long time. Um, I did read something about Byron Lewis, who we will be um, chatting with tomorrow at the Black History Month event with mm-hmm. the Act Club, is that – he wanted to make sure that he hired uh, creatives that came from mainstream agencies. And I think that that was um, really important. And not necessarily that there's anything wrong with, like, not giving um, us, if you will, or people that aren't coming from mainstream agencies um, the good life, but that he recognized that there was a snob effect. Yeah. That you didn't think that you could have a great career, the same kind of career, career that you could have at a McCann or at a Gray or at a YNR, at a Uniworld. So he went out of his way to show them. Oh, this was in Valerie's book. He went out of his way to show them that, like, you can have an illustrious career here as well. Um, it sounds like he saved them. Uh, well, I don't know. You gotta read well, the book. Here or there. No, that's how I would, would, would sum it up, is, like, you, you, you basically save people from the hellhole. Like that they were that they were experiencing. Well, I don't think it was a hellhole because, like, again, people have been comfortable for a very long time. No, when I say when I say save the, I mean like from working at these agencies. No, I don't think anyone I think wanted it's more to be the saved. Snob effect yeah, I anything. don't think anybody yeah. wanted to be saved. I well, so I think <laughs> we're we're probably looking at because when I think about the snob effect and I think about shit that I've gone through, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, I wish somebody would have saved me from that. I don't think that I don't think that that's what I don't think that that's what everybody was going through. I think the goal, as it quite frankly still is, was to become um, a high level executive at one of the major agencies and that in an effort to uh, grow, maintain and acquire high talent. Byron Lewis had to go out of his way to explain to them that. Uniworld is just as creatively amazing as uh, and, McCann. And as secures any, the bag. And secures the bag. Exactly. So, like, I don't think people were 
looking to be saved. I don't think that I think that they were just miserable, and that's why everybody did. <laughs> oh, that's, that's why everybody did a lot of cocaine. And that's they, what I mean. Like, like I think they were fine. Like you're miserable, and like you want a reprieve. But the reprieve, okay. I that's this becomes a whole other conversation because the reprieve. As we know, going to multicultural agencies, not by through experience, but by conversation, is you don't get the budgets. You now have to do the yes, same quality is, work with no yeah. money. So I don't think it's a saving. <laughs> I don't think it's a saving grace. I think it's a di- it, it is a different monster um, that is great for culture, but you also have to look at your career. And again, we have this whole thing where like you go, and it, some people talk about it, you go to Uniworld, and it's kind of like. It's Do hard to get back accounts. into. It's hard to get oh, back yeah. into the mainstream agency side. So, so I think there's that, but we don't have to go there because that becomes a whole other conversation. Yes. But I do think it's worth discussing that from the 40s to early 70s, like there was a large push for diversity and inclusion programming and activism, and that for equally from the mid 70s through the 90s, folk have forgot that we are still here and we're not rising to the ranks that we should. But even from a business perspective in Jason Chambers' book, you have the recession of the 1970s and then the forgotten part. So a lot of agencies did start, they did. right, to have their initiatives, but, you know, that takes money. Right. Like, I think I read they invested in, They invested in it, and then when they had to cut budgets, they were like, yeah, well, right. And then we're good here. And you need people to make a stake to bring those things back or to make a stance for that. Right. And as and to the dormant part, like there's no one here who's going to take up that arm. Right. right. So it doesn't continue. And I think that's why you see, like when we talk, when we talk, I think for previous episodes, we were talking about why aren't there training, you know, training programs for people and whatever. And it's like, yeah, the agency doesn't have money, but that's also who's going to take up that cross and actually restart it. I mean, I think for me, when I when you when you say that, I just see I I just hear a lack of innovation. Right. Yeah. Like like there there's definitely, especially now when we're looking in this age of social entrepreneur social enterprises, where people where there are people who found ways to make money and do good at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. I think the problem was was, was that these initiatives weren't authentic because they weren't really about helping. They were about get off my ass. Yes. Right. Um, and so they Which weren't thinking. Which is where trying to get us to go. Sorry. Like, just like, Sorry. Uh, like, we I, I don't know. I we got like, the I, car. <laughs> okay. I, don't, I, I didn't know what time was looking like. It was like it was feeling like we was getting close. So I didn't I mean, know. We're, 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 we're 14 minutes. Yeah. Well, here. Do you not look at the time while you sit in front of the computer? We're at our destination. We're at our destination. Let's talk about the 99 and 2000. Because <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like looking at Simi and like maybe he'll tell us like when we're getting close. He's like, no, I'm just recording. But I did want to mention about the financial drop off as well. Like, Right. Well, you're right. There's a financial drop off. There's a lot. But from that, it's important to recognize that once money starts to get tight, the first thing that gets cut are the programs and opportunities that help us. So we had like a good 25 years of just kicking it and chilling. You know, we had the 80s, we had the 90s. The 90s were good for many people financially. Um, And then we get into 2000. Um, And in 2000, uh, 
media agency specifically, we're talking about the buying side, not necessarily the creative side, started to realize, hey, they weren't getting opportunities to sell, um, they weren't getting opportunities to sell product on platforms um, primarily because they were black. Um, and so Lee in 19, sorry, in 2000, October 6, 2000, president Bill Clinton signed an executive order at the white house that included language to establish the first multicultural advertising guidelines for federal government departments and agencies. Um, and so this is the first time, and I think this actually started, the conversation started in 98, but this is the first time um, in maybe two decades that we have we started to see the conversation of diversity and inclusion and affirmative action in advertising start to pick back up again. Um, essentially, the what had happened was, basically, like I said, Folks wasn't weren't able to purchase certain spots because certain uh, brands or and um, things did not want to be associated with blackness. President Clinton was like, "Nah, bro, that's crazy. We can't do that." <laughs> so he signed an executive order, which, as we know, is more like a heavy suggestion. It's not a mandate um, to get to make sure that African American businesses and companies and clients had access to. Um, programming uh which they could purchase for the product um so that had happened which also takes us into 2006 and this brings us back to the new york right it brings it's us back to the uh new york city commission on human rights again was it called that then yeah i think it's been yeah. that for a while now okay so New York City Commission on Human Rights. So all that shit's going on in media and people are starting to realize, hey, we're still not seeing a whole bunch of black folk here. Nope. Now we've risen from what, five percent? We've risen four percent. Four percent. Four percent. But it just feels like there should be more of us. And I think what happened is that there's a specific instance where um our favorite diversity and inclusion and human rights uncle, Al Sharpton, um, got into the conversation as well. And this was during the Madison Avenue project mm-hmm. of uh, 2000. I think it started in 2006, right? Well, I have here that in 2009, so this is from me hearing Scalette, attorneys at law. <laughs> um, right, because I think that's... that's Cyrus Murray. Right. Who, who is a gangster for DNI. He is. Amen. We gotta get so in 2009, they discovered that racial discrimination is 38% worse in the advertising industry than in the overall U.S. labor market. And they decided that the discrimination divide between advertising and other U.S. industries is more than twice as bad as it was 30 years ago. The study found that African Americans suffered a shortfall of 7,200 jobs in the industry and were paid 20% less than on average and they're, I mean, 20% less on average than their white counterparts with comparable experience in education. It garnered a lot of press and buzz in the industry, and then in 2010 led to the filing of the EEOC charges against ad companies on the behalf of several affected individuals. Um, it also shed light on, on the best, on the most coveted media spots, particularly Super Bowl commercials, and found that 50 out of the 52% after 52 professionally produced industry ads that aired during the 2010 Super Bowl 
all of the creative directors were white and only 6% were women. So clearly we all know who was leading. Yes, we do. Some things never change. So I think that's the point, right? right? So the point was we had this lull and then all of a sudden people started to recognize, huh, where did all the black people go? Um, and so in the, is this, I guess in, it's in 2019, it's really weird to talk about 2009 as a late 2000s, but I guess, I guess it's the late 2000s. So in the late 2000s, we have we come up and the um, commission is like, listen, we need to change this again. And so they gave the agencies a two-year timestamp to get their numbers up and to also record their numbers. Um, and I feel like the great part about that is, you know, now we can find all of that information on ad week and ad age and the drum and things like that because there's a lot more documentation these days um and yes from what we've heard from some of the people that have been on the show before um yeah the the there was an uptick in numbers i think tasha right. gilroy who's you know our favorite auntie auntie of the show mm-hmm. always talks about how there definitely was there definitely were more people of color at the agencies but then shortly after that, once they delivered their numbers and they showed success, we did diversity, everybody forgets again. Because well, no one's on their ass anymore. Well, no yeah, one's I mean, on their ass yeah, anymore. Yeah, no one was on their ass anymore. And, and you know, to, to the point that we mentioned earlier, you know, when the budgets go, the black people are the first to go. Um, and so for, right. for a lot of – so I was pursuing advertising around that time. So I was meeting a lot of these people. And so – I saw a lot of these people get fired and laid off. Um, and part of the the issue was there wasn't a lot of a way to get back into the industry mm-hmm. because to Bennett's point, what was happening for a lot of them were they were being treated as diversity hires. So they were in the building, but they weren't necessarily producing work at the same rate right. as their, their white counterparts. So when you, when you get pushed out or you get fired or whatever the case may be, and it's time for you to find another job, you don't have the credentials that you need to actually keep going. Uh, and part of the issue is, um, from my standpoint, is that what happens is that it's really easy to hire when the gun is on your ass. Right. Um, but when you actually all of a sudden get, everybody knows how to do it yeah. once money is involved, once your ass is yes. on the line, right. and once you don't want the embarrassment. Right. But as soon as as soon as no one is holding a gun to your head, but I forget how to find people that don't look like me. Yes. <laughs> SpongeBob me. Yeah. And there's, and there's 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 no plan of action for when they get in the industry, for when they get in the agency. So there are no development plans. There there's no. I mean, advertising is a little is arbitrary like that, where you know no one really knows how to get to the level, next level. It's like no, 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 no. That's not true. People do know how to get to the next level, but how do you get how you get to the next level is not is not the same as it is in banking and yes, it's not the right, same yeah. as, as it is in uh, education where there are you are like it used to be that you were a junior and then you were mid level and then you were senior and then you were executive level and then there are steps within executive level. But the reality is in the in the 
the way the industry and, and uh, creative is set up these days, you can go from being, you can come in straight to C-level, you can move around from levels. One level at one agency isn't the same as, a, as another agency, but everyone knows how to grow because in order to grow in this industry, you have to have a support system. Yes. There has to be somebody that wants to bring you up with them. That is a fact. That doesn't change between cultures, between races, re- between genders. The problem is where many of us get left back, being people of color, is that nobody wants to bring us up with them. Preach. They want yeah. to say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but you're not even giving me no boots to strap on to pull up. But even if when you when you do make it to that level, it's like you need Which advocacy level? like Specify. beyond the entry level mm-hmm. or beyond I, I see I see it as at every level you need a form of advocacy. Whether but that's the support. where you get it and I find it very easily in the in, in the entry level and it drops off in the mid level but then you still need it in the C suite level as a person of color. Yeah. 100%. You got to have you got to have somebody on your PR team. Like everybody's like, "Oh, who's on your board of directors?" That's cute. This whole you need a board of director thing is very cute and very true, but the real for real for real shit when you are a person that comes from um uh, um an oppressed group or an unseen and unheard group it ain't even really about your board of directors telling you when to speak up and when not to speak up. You need a whole PR team in the yeah. background shouting your praises and screaming about how great you are and promising all of these crazy things you don't even know if they're promising on your behalf because no one believes us when we talk about how great we are. Yeah. yeah. They think we're making it all about – we're just making proof. it all about – yeah, like yeah. – and it's not about that. Yeah, you need your board of directors, but as a person of color and as a woman, you hey. need to have a PR team. Who is at the table when the doors are closed talking about how dope I am and telling people what they need to do with me next? And you need people, you need advocacy even to have these type of programs within your agency or even in the exactly. industry. Because, hey, you need money to make these things go. Exactly. And you have to have input for people who control the budgets and who see this as more than just top of mind just because you're going to get in trouble with it or, you know, your right. client is going to burn your ass about it. But I'll never forget when um, last year when I was speaking with David, David Sable on his podcast, um, after we closed the podcast, he told me about how back in his day they had rotational programs within YNR. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think what – agencies forget what everyone has seemed to forgot is that there was a system built in yes to grow the people that are uh six ex- successful exist i don't know that ex- yeah i can't that are successful today yeah. i mean and, like and, they're like like even if you don't have the programs anymore the mindset is still the same but who did not get into those programs largely black folk and women these are the people that struggle. There is no system to pull us up. And I also strongly believe that with a lot of the programs being outside of the agency and, and not continuing through the duration of your career, that is why, like, I think a lot of the programs are just to get us in the door. Right. There's not enough focus on what happens once we're in there, I which agree. is where that falls short and the 
rotational programs inside of agencies of the past were more successful and there was a direct pipeline to the C-suite because they cared. This, yeah. these programs were put together to save face and cover asses. I don't yeah. know if I agree about the rotation. I would like to meet someone who started from a rotational um, program and did end up on the C-suite. David Sable! He was an intern! Person- they, they, they had train. They, they were training programs, and I think... Yeah, even, the trainee programs. And, right. and I think we... I will probably say the best... One of the best things to look at are... Because advertising agencies weren't the only ones under fire during those early periods of affirmative action. Right. So when you start looking at, like, these OG companies like Xerox... Right, um, right. And you see yep. the structural... Johnson & Johnson, Johnson is another HP. one. Yep, they HP, have a really And one. when you look at the structure that they had built in yep. to their programs for development and mentorship... Just, like, people. general development, general. though. It wasn't even specific right. to diversity. That's why yep. you see people of color in pe- in places of leadership today in those companies because they started back in in the eighties exactly. and, and the seventies, right. and there was there was a structure in place to grow and develop them within these. Because it's not saying that the, it was shit was perfect. We can look at yeah. lawyers. Yeah, yes. there's a path to partnership. There's a path yeah. to being a partner, and they don't necessarily have programs, but. There were programs and there were rules and there were boundaries. We don't have that. We don't have what we have is the wild the snob appeal. What <laughs> we have is the boys club. What we have is the secret society where the only thing they ask is not trust, but of exclusion. Yep. Mm. And that's why we are here today. So I, I, I I'm gonna go ahead and close up because we. I know we, we've been here we for do, a minute. We can do this. Yeah. This is a we movie. Can do this all day long. <laughs> all day long, we can do. But this. It's educational, you know. No, no, no. It was but very I, educational. Listen, we brought this conversation to you guys, and it's very different from our regular conversations. But we brought this to you because we felt very strongly that we can't leave Black History Month working in advertising without actually talking about why we do what we do. We came to the table to discuss race and gender and and, uh, diversity in advertising because we were having conversations that we felt no one else was paying attention to. We wanted to do something differently and not to shade panels and events and conferences, but I just feel like we just feel like there's enough of that. They were still doing, they were doing panels in the 60s. Um, if you get Jason Chambers' book, again, it's called Madison Avenue and the Color Line. If you get this book, he constantly talks about how uh, the forays were constantly called to the floor and to tables. And there were a whole bunch of conferences that were had in amazing places like Miami and Los Angeles to have these same discussions that we're having today. And we see that the, the change that is made tends to stop at entry level being people that are beyond entry level but have not necessarily made it to executive level yet we recognize that it's important for us to understand that that's where this diversity conversation is is faulty yes and that it is up to people like us with voices like ours and also with education like ours and not necessarily being educated in school but like we read we do the work and we read it's because we have that information that we're able to continue to have these con- these conversations and push the envelope and hold all of you, each and every one of you, accountable. 
And Amen. I think that is important for Black History Month. Yes. Accountability. So as you guys know, you can always follow us on all the social medias. Yes. Um, Ask Mixed Company. You can visit us online at mixedcompanypodcast.com. Yeah. Check it out. Check and make our sure you rate us on these on the platforms oh, have like, yes. like apple and um we have spotify, spotify. Like, i found yeah. cloud but it's it's more comments than i'm used to getting so i just didn't read them check us out <laughs> maybe on the we'll SoundCloud. read them next time check out yeah. the art the digital exhibit um on ad club new york's website, That's on our website. and on check our, our on instagram page it's as gonna, well i think i'm just gonna leave it up there yeah for the rest of the year for amen because the rest of the, of the year, year cool 365 black yeah Bye, y'all.